Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. So guys, you know that I'm, I've got a pretty obsessive focus on my body goal over the last couple of years. Ends at the end of December 2019. And I've been maniacally focused on managing my weight and working through the gym, uh, really trying to build the physique that I believe I can achieve, really just to express to people what is possible. But I tell you what, something that has got me just a bit confused, to say the least, is the gentleman I've got on the podcast today. So we have got Sam Felton, and I'm going to get him to properly introduce himself and kind of where he established his career in the fitness industry and health industry. But what I'm most intrigued about is that this guy has demonstrated for his own body that he can eat an obscene amount of food and put on hardly any weight, and it just breaks every rule in the book. So hopefully buckling guys and listening to something that should fascinate, should resonate and should hopefully give us all some hope that we can manage our bodies in difficult ways or less difficult ways if you choose the right food. So Sam, without further ado, welcome to the Adaptation Podcast, dude. Pleasure to be here, Steve. I'm absolutely fascinated about your story. But before we get into the smash the fat blog site and some of the work you've done on your own body over the last few years. Why don't you just kind of start from the beginning, Sam? Just give us a sense of kind of where this all started for you. Yeah, well, I've had a fairly um, varied professional career. Um, I studied uh, web design at university. Um, and then post-university, um, I uh, went straight into a web design job for a year um, and found out that that was thoroughly bo boring. Um, <laughs> no surprise there, really, when you think about it. But, um, you know, you kind of you do the standard stuff, um, but then realize that, OK, this isn't for me. Um, and so I up sticks and went to New Zealand to become a snowboard instructor which sounds crazy. And it was, <laughs> it, was uh, it was very, very fun. Um, and I was a snowboard instructor for four years um, from uh, the age of 22 to the age of 26. Um, and I did that all over the world, um, New Zealand being the, the starting point. Um, but I was uh, in Colorado, Vermont, in the Alps, in Canada, um, all over the place, really. Sounds rubbish. Um, yeah, it was lame, absolutely <laughs> rubbish. Uh, but no, no, it was it was an amazing time, and it's great in your kind of early mid twenties. Um, but after four years of it, um, I was beginning to get a bit sick and tired of moving from place to place every six months, um, and decided that I wanted to settle back in the UK, um, and I didn't want to go back into into web design really, um, and so uh, I decided I wanted to do something physical. Um, and, uh, the thing that I settled on was becoming a personal trainer. And so, uh, in June, 2010, I qualified as a master personal trainer through the European Institute of Fitness. And, um, after that, I moved in with my brother into his box group, box room in Bethnal Green, um, 
and uh, you know, fifty quid a week in near central London. It was pretty pretty good rates nice. as far as it goes. Um, but it was literally a box room. It was like the size of a single bed. Um, but you know, it did the job. You know, if you're in your mid twenties, it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, but uh, what I did there, I was um, personal training out of a well-known chain, um, and uh, I was I started to enjoy it at the beginning um but then i started to realize that my clients weren't quite getting the results that i wanted them to um and i was starting to miss group training as well um and so i decided to start a fitness boot camp um because uh, particularly in 2010 there was kind of a real rise of fitness boot camps and group training mm-hmm. in particular um and uh, yeah that's when i launched smash the fat uh, fitness and fat loss boot camps and uh yeah it was uh, absolutely fantastic i kind of fell back in love with with training people really um and whilst i was doing that um i read a book by a, a science journalist called gary torbs um and it was called how to uh how to get um how to get fat and what to do about it um oh how we get fat and what to do about it sorry um slip of the tongue and then um yeah that really opened my eyes to perhaps some of the mistakes that we've made in the past um in regards to um how we do get fat um and what we should do about it um and so i started advising this way of life for people um in the fitness boot camps and my pt clients and uh yeah they started to get better results um and so over the preceding few years um i franchised that business um and grew it to 10 locations across the country and as part of that um i had a youtube channel and a podcast myself mm-hmm. um and so i got to know a lot of people um kind of in this space really um uh, overseas and here in the uk um and it was in 2015 that i i felt like i was in a bit of a philosophical quandary in that you know i felt like we were doing a good job in terms of helping more and more people um obtain and maintain um healthier lifestyles but i always thought in the back of my mind that we're always going to be battling uphill if um we have these dietary guidelines that i don't agree with in place Mm -hmm. uh which i think is, is is part of the problem and so um i decided that the only way that we're going to be able to tackle this is by setting up a uh a charity or non-profit organization that can focus on solving this problem um, and organizing all the players that are involved with this and getting people focused. And so I pitched this idea to everybody that's on the scientific advisory board of the charity that I've set up um, and they agreed. And we launched a online crowdfunding campaign in February 2016 and we doubled our target on that, which was absolutely amazing and then in march 2016 uh, we started the ball rolling um, and at the same time i also closed down my business at the same time um so that i could fully focus on this but also to remove any conflict of interest at the okay. same time um and so smash the fat is no longer running although the blog is still up and kind of the videos and podcasts on youtube are still there um just for people to um 
to watch and listen and think about and um yeah ever since then um since march 2016 i've been uh, the director of the public health collaboration whose mission is to inform and implement healthier decisions for better public health i'm fascinated by that in particular and actually want to share an anecdote but i'm gonna withhold going down that rabbit hole just yet just because i think there's one part of your story that you missed out on, which was, um, and I don't know whether this is what, if, if it were, whether it was viral or it's just I've just so happened to find it and seen a lot of information online, but the exploration of uh, various diets and what it does to your body. Um, when did you when did you do that? Because I know you kind of pitted three mm -hmm. diets against each other and you use yourself as like an N, N equals one experiment. Yeah, so this was 2013. So three years into the creation of, uh, of Smash the Fat and kind of running the YouTube channel and the podcast and things. Um, and of course, you know, uh, being that far into it, I'd had several um, heated discussions, let's say, <laughs> on um, on the interwebs, um, particularly on Twitter, uh, just about how uh, quite possibly how the human body works um especially if and, you're listening to gary Torbs, right because he's quite a controversial yeah. character in his, in his own right so if yeah. you endorse his philosophy you're going to get a lot of people's backup right yeah certainly um and so i decided um right um the only way that i'm gonna kind of demonstrate the point that gary's making um for, for a guy like myself who's naturally lean um the only way that I can do it is by trying to gain weight. And so I decided to do these three self experiments where I'd overeat twice the amount of food that I'd usually eat. Um, and I did this for three weeks per experiment with three months washout period in between to uh, biochemically reset. Um, and um, what I did uh, is that on the first experiment, <clears throat> I was eating uh, low carb real food. Uh, so it was eggs and salmon for breakfast, um, and I'd kind of have nuts as snacks in between um, three meals a day. Um, and uh, lunchtime was uh, mackerel and green beans, and then for dinner it was steak and, and broccoli. Um, and then, as I say, I had nuts, and uh, my daily intake was just shy of 6,000 calories a day, basically, which is, yeah, a lot. Um, but what, um, what happened over those three weeks was that when you uh, take away uh, the thermogenic effect of protein, the loss of calories from fiber, um, and also any exercise that I was doing, I ended up in a 47,000 calorie surplus by the end of three weeks. Oh, so, you, so, so sorry, you, you, acknowledge, you acknowledge the um, the TEF, the thermic effects of food. So you kind of equated yes. that out of your calculations. Mm -hmm. All right, okay. Yeah, correct. And so the idea was that um, I'd have a net calorie surplus left over. And so, um, yeah, the net calorie surplus was 47,000 calories just over. Um, and so according to the calorie formula, I should have put on 6.1 kilograms. Uh, but what actually happened was that I only put on 1.3 kilograms and I actually lost three centimeters from my waist as well. Um, it was a very interesting um, observation. 
in itself. Uh, but it doesn't completely tell the whole story of what's going on kind of with human bodies and uh, and losing and gaining weight. Um, and so I did a second one three months later, and that was low-fat fake food. And so uh, on that one, um, I was eating, you know, cereal and skim milk for breakfast. Um, I had uh, like pizzas for lunch, like low-fat pizzas. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like a low-fat um, lasagna with low-fat garlic bread and 0% fat yogurt and stuff like that, basically, um, which is kind of, for a lot of people, a standard diet, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on that one, um, again, uh, taking away the protein, uh, the thermogenic effect of protein, the loss of fiber and any exercise that I was doing. And I made sure that I did uh, the same amount of exercise um, and the same type of exercise in each experiment as well. Um, I ended up in, again, a 47,000 calorie surplus or just over. And again, according to the calorie formula, I should have put on 6.1 kilograms, but I actually put on 7.1 kilograms. And I actually put on nine and a quarter centimeters on my waist oh my God. as well. Um, yeah, which was mind blowing for a guy that's been naturally slim all of his life. Um, it really took me back. Um, and uh, yeah, really, really worrying. Um, but I kind of did a, um, a experiment to be with this as well. So immediately following on from that low fat fake food experiment, I went immediately back to my um, usual low carb real food diet, but I ate at calorie maintenance. So um, calorie maintenance at, uh, at that time for me was about three and a half thousand calories. And so um, I uh, again was eating, you know, eggs and salmon for breakfast and, um, you know, just low carb real food really. Um, and I was trying to keep, I was keeping it at three and a half thousand calories. And so the idea was that I was trying to maintain the weight that I'd gained, right? Uh, because if the calorie formula rings like true as in terms of pure simplistic maths, then, you know, the weight that I should have gained, if I'm eating at calorie maintenance, I should maintain the weight that I've gained. Um, and so, uh, yeah, over another three weeks of eating at calorie maintenance, I actually lost 6.1 kilograms of the 7.1 kilograms that I put on. Um, So it was incredible that I could eat at calorie maintenance and lose weight. Um, So that was incredible. This is going to be blowing a lot of people's minds right now, right? Because whether you're in, in the know, whether you're a PT or a nutritionist or generally speaking, you know, this concept of, uh, you know, uh, burn burn what you use or you know eat less move more you know this equation of you suggesting you're matching your your calorie expenditure and yet you're losing weight i mean it just doesn't make any sense yeah 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 it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't seem to does it um and so uh, i did a did a final experiment uh and in this final experiment i um was doing a very low fat vegan diet um, so I was having, you know, porridge with water for breakfast, um, and then kind of fruit as a snack. Um, and then at lunchtime it was, uh, potatoes and water chestnuts, I think, um, with, I think kind of a, it was a, maybe a, uh, tablespoon worth of olive oil or maybe a teaspoon even. Um, and the point was, was that it was 15% fat 
in the diet um, and that it was vegan as well. And so um, on this one, um, when you took away the thermogenic effect of protein, the loss of fiber and the exercise, it actually ended up in a 39,000 calorie surplus. So um, well, it was closer to 40,000 actually. Um, and uh, the reason for that was because of the um, amount of fiber that I was eating. So to put it in perspective for the listeners, the daily recommended allowance um, is 30 grams a day uh, for fiber. And I was eating 175 grams. Whoa. So quite a lot more. Um, so my digestive system hated me, <laughs> as did my wife. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I um, on that experiment, uh, according to the calorie formula, I should have put on 5.2 kilograms. And uh, I actually only put on 4.7 kilograms. Um, so uh, although it didn't match the calorie formula exactly, it was still more than the first one, even though the net calorie surplus was 7,000 calories less. Which should have been at least a couple of pounds, really, of, of extra oh, fat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and so that was a, it was a really interesting observation um with that and i also put on seven and three quarter centimeters around my waist on that experiment as well um, how, did, how did you feel during each of these just um subjectively so low carb real food um i just felt energetic more than anything even even though you was force feeding yourself to some degree yes, or, did, so, or was you uh, not forced was it easy to eat that amount oh actually it wasn't no um so i although i was energetic um, I was stuffed all of the time. I just wasn't hungry at all. Um, so I did have to force feed myself. Um, but uh, I never felt really bloated or anything like that. Um, but I felt stuffed. Um, then on the low fat fake food one, um, it was fun for about three days. And then um, it really kind of kicked in, um, in terms of just feeling absolutely rubbish. Um, and also my um, my asthma came back as well. I had mild mild asthma as a kid, um, and on my um, my cycle commute, I was actually getting out of breath. And you know, for a guy that's fairly fit that doesn't get out of breath on his leisurely uh, cycle commute, getting out of breath just kind of plodding along, at, you know, I don't know, fifteen twenty miles an hour or something. Um, you know, that's like whoa, that's really really bad. <clears throat> Um, so, uh, yeah, that was rubbish. And then my sleep was very broken in that one as well. Um, and I started to snore, which I don't usually do. Um, and then in the last one, um, I was just really bloated, you know, the whole time. Um, and, uh, my, my mental clarity was, was de definitely diminished during that, that time as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, in, in all honesty, the, the only one that, I felt any sort of decency was the was the first one. And when it comes to when it comes to your theories as to what's going on, I mean, I, I feel reasonably well educated, but I don't want to make any assumptions here, Sam. Mm -hmm. If if you were to think about, well, let's take take the energy for for a second. So, you know, a lot of people talk about like if you if you're abstaining or you're not eating enough food, you could feel lethargic and so forth. I often find I feel the opposite when I'm I'm not you know mm -hmm. slamming my 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 digestion as much. But what do you think are the reasons behind these three diets feeling different in terms of 
emotional stability or mental clarity or just general kind of feeling of wellness? Yeah, so um, I think the the, the first one, uh, the reason that I was generally feeling energetic was because it was the foods that, you know, my body would, would thrive on and it was using that energy, essentially. Because um, uh, carbohydrates are just used for energy, um, whereas fat and protein uh, can be used for all sorts of things mm-hmm. in terms of um, creating hormones, uh, replenishing skin cells, um, hair, um, uh, bones, and, and all sorts, really. Um, so uh, all of that was getting used. Um, and so when I switched to the low-fat, um, low fat fake food one. Um, not only was I eating a lot more carbohydrates than I was before, which is just energy. And because I wasn't using that energy up, um, uh, it was just slowing my body down, um, really. And, uh, in terms of the amount of sugar and ultra processed food that I was eating, um, it was just really, um, you know, messing with my hormones essentially Mm. um and just messing with my usual bodily processes and so um yeah that's really gonna um put a spanner in the works in regards to uh yeah mental clarity and how you sleep and and all that jazz um and then in the last one in particular um feeling bloating it was likely the the crazy amount of fiber that i was eating um that was uh, making me bloated and um also just in terms of mental clarity as well because um i've never done anything uh, any vegan diets before um quite possibly the the lack of um of animal foods might have contributed to to me uh to my brain not functioning as usual Mm. essentially some people could say sam that yeah. there's a transitionary transitionary period on oh, any yeah. diet right yeah, so they yeah, might yeah, say sure. on a exactly. vegan diet if you're transitioning out the first week you know you haven't mm-hmm. got necessarily the amount of digestive <clears throat> enzymes to break down the amount of fiber you're eating you know yeah. there is a transition away from you know the fuel sources yada 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 and just oh, kind of bear with it and maybe you didn't allow enough time for the diet to take hold even though i mean it's just a lot of food to put down in one day isn't it yeah yeah exactly and um, particularly with the vegan diet in particular you know that amount of fiber a lot of beans. <laughs> um, yeah exactly a lot of beans and uh and everything else so um yeah definitely there's kind of the, that argument but obviously i was eating an excessive amount as well so if you're on a on a on a normal vegan diet you wouldn't be eating that amount of fiber um so this was an, an extreme circumstance that's for sure i know this is subjective sam but which was more enjoyable? I mean, like just you know, without without thinking about which was healthier, which tasted better, what what gave you more satisfaction as you was eating the food you was eating? Uh, low carb real food, all the way um, for me. Um, as I said, uh, the the low fat fake food one um, was it was a lot of fun for the first three days, but then kind of my body crashed. <laughs> I was I was tired, lethargic. Um, not sleeping well, um, and generally feeling rubbish. Uh, but the interesting thing with that as well is that um, I didn't uh, feel that satiated 
and you know in all honesty i probably could have kept going eating um on that one um each day um so that was pretty scary um but yeah i mean i'm so satisfied from from eating eggs for breakfast and mm-hmm. steak for dinner um along with uh some some vegetables with butter that um yeah I'm, it really just that i really enjoyed those meals and um yeah that, that's my uh that's my lifestyle really and i could understand i can understand that that second one that uh, low fat fake food kind of high carb diet I can understand how it would drive you to eat more because I think we've all been there, right? I know I absolutely have where I just get, you know, pangs of hunger that drove me to being hangry. I mean, I was, I've, I've just been a terrible person to be around for most of my <laughs> life because, you know, if you give me a two or three hour window where I wasn't eating, it would just start to come over and my missus would, would know when I was getting hangry because I'd, I'd do this thing of rubbing my chest. And then I start getting a little bit snappy <laughs> and I start right. just being a little less patient. And she knew that I was getting hungry. And that, that basically was how I operated for most of my life. So I, I noticed that that kind of insatiable need to eat, which never seems to be never seems to be quenched. I mean, it is in the moment, but it just comes back so quickly. Um, and I guess maybe to some degree, that's what you were feeling. But it doesn't it doesn't just that in its own right doesn't describe the fat gain because you wasn't overeating above over and above the low carb diet was yeah it was equal in terms of the net calorie surplus um so uh, it, it likely comes down to what i think is probably the case is that um although uh quantity is a is an important component of uh of someone's diet quality is also um an equal uh, if not uh more important part of somebody's diet um and uh yeah i think that it's more than likely that hormones are are more of a major player than than we think that they are Mm -hmm. um in in regards to fat loss and and fat gain and how the body functions as well um and also the the macronutrient distributions in terms of the fact that um as i was mentioning earlier carbohydrates are just energy fat and protein are used for many 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 things in the human body um so yeah that's what i think <laughs> yeah so if we double click on that a little bit because i am so fascinated but fascinated on the mechanism that really yeah. doesn't allow you to add weight and maybe i'll just add my own personal anecdote here sam so i've i've just had a standard diet for the majority of my life i'm 38 uh, around about 36 or so lost a bit of weight through that process you know what it's normally like you lose a bit of weight and then it encourages you to eat a bit better and that really was the start of me ever tweaking my diet to support optimal performance and and feeling that i'm doing my best but through that transition i added lots more fiber than i was ever eating before uh i was mm-hmm. eating a lot more varied fruits and uh, uh, vegetables more so and less f- fruit i was up in my protein i was feeling good and you know can't lie you know just a standard kind of healthy diet in what the traditional sense of a healthy diet should be is what i was on i was bang on it I was eating all the sweet potatoes <laughs> i was mm-hmm. i was skipping the gluten i was you know skipping the dairy i was having lots of chicken uh lots of fish i was having a bunch of fat but i was trying to control the fat and i felt that i could manage my weight 
pretty well by doing standard calorie uh, tracking uh, and monitoring it. It seemed to work pretty well. I could move it up or down. It wasn't overly emotional. It was still very driven by food and I've been a foodie my whole life. Over the last month or so, I've been encouraged to experiment with low carb dieting. Uh, in part because I've been listening to Christian Fibordo, who talks about neurotypes, in part because I've listened to a couple of carnivore advocates and they've really enlightened me on a few concepts. And then I've just been in getting incredible amounts of research for myself to understand the mechanisms of disease and some of the things mm -hmm. I'm dealing with. So I've been transitioning and I've been amazed with a couple of things, Sam. First of all, like I'm never hungry. I'm eating a lot. I'm eating almost 4,000 yeah. calories, but I'm choosing to mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm trying to bulk. Right. And, and that's the second point. The second point is I'm trying to bulk and I can't. <laughs> I just, I'm, right. eating, I'm eating okay. 4,000 calories, which is probably four to four, three, which is more mm -hmm. than I would normally otherwise do to bulk. And I would bulk easily and predictably, you know, over a course of a few months, I'd get to, you know, 14 pounds higher than what I need to be on this. Not, it's not a carnivore diet, but it's basically low carb, mostly animal nutrition back end of the day, mm -hmm. I'll stick a hundred carbs in or something like that, just to give me that kind of comfort food. And I just can't seem to move the needle. It's, it's jumping up and down, but it's not going anywhere. It's flatlining or dropping. So I'm so intrigued in your experience, because I'm feeling that it probably is happening to me. But the question for you, Sam is, where are the calories going? <laughs> because yeah. you know, the calorie, you know, um, formulas and the way I've managed my diet before has been so precise to the yeah. day. I've been able to mm -hmm. get off the weight predict predictably over the days and weeks in support of my cutting goals. In this case, I just can't seem to do it. If I feel like if I just ate to satiation, I would mm -hmm. lose weight on this diet. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. Um, and so obviously you're, you're, you said that your goal at the moment is to gain at the moment. Um, correct? Yeah. I mean, I'm in a cyclic phase of cutting and, and, and bulking, okay. but I'm currently in a bulking yeah. phase, been in it for a few months. Cool. Um, and uh, how's your strength performance at the moment? It's good. Yeah, I'm 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 reasonably strong individual. I can I can lift weights and through yeah through uh, just in comparison to you know to be more high uh, carb. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say the first week or so when I really really dialed it down, mm -hmm. I just felt just a little bit empty. Oh, you would do. Yeah, would I, do. Ju I just yeah. felt that like you know my my ability my endurance even just within just doing weight training was mm -hmm. tanking. Uh, so it's been two or three weeks where it's slowly been jump, jump, jumping out. And now I feel like I'm performing as per normal on a diet, which is, it's, it's not keto, maybe about 100 grams. And again, that's back end of the day. But that's not yeah. enough to move the needle. No. Um, so, uh, I mean, it sounds like you're just getting back to kind of adapting back to your, um, your regular training performance. Um, and so, you know, the only way to um, increase your, your, your bulking um, in terms of the fact that, you know, you're not gaining any weight in, through more carbohydrates, but it's obviously just to lift bigger, essentially. Um, so uh, now that you're back on par with your, uh, your strength performance, uh, now it's time to obviously push beyond that mm -hmm. essentially because lifting big and eating big are the two tenants of bulking um but uh and i don't know how your bulking 
went before um, in terms of, you know, what percentage fat were you? Yeah, I can give you some some of that. And I, I think this is good for the audience. I have I have shared this on on my blogs, but I I generally hover around um what the lowest I get to is about nine percent when I cut, mm -hmm. and then I stop, and then I just go I reverse back into a bulk, uh, and then I'll probably get up to about thirteen, twelve, thirteen percent on mm -hmm. the kind of high end of my bulk. End up putting on anywhere between twelve and fourteen pounds, and then I just reverse back out of that again. So I and I and I and it's systematic. It's it's systematized. I know how to put weight on and how to take it off. It's it's a it's a surplus or yep. a deficit. And for the most part, on a moderate carb diet, I've been able to do that with ease in in either direction. Yeah. But in this in this instance where the carbs are so low, my body mm -hmm. just doesn't seem to be responding to putting weight on. Yeah, and I think quite possibly um i mean you got to be um look at it in terms of the fact that you know some of that weight gain in previous bulks would have been fat and water as well 100 percent, right? yeah yeah there was definitely a bunch of yeah. fat i was putting on with the muscle 100 percent, yeah yeah um so uh when it comes to trying to bulk on on a lower carb diet um obviously you're not going to have much uh, as much water retention as you did before, and I don't. What what percentage body fat are you at at the moment? Do you know, uh, I haven't I haven't actually measured it, but it feels. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good with my body fat percentages. I think it's probably about eleven, maybe okay. touching twelve. But it's. Right. It, I'm still relatively lean, if I'm honest. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Uh, so a little less than previous years, and so um, obviously that kind of contributes to the needle not moving. Um, and so, uh, I mean, do, are you bulking for anything in particular, or <laughs> just an obsession about? <laughs> just an obsession. Just an obsession. Why not, right? No, yeah, well, no. I, I mean, just to give a little bit more context, I've, you know, Adapt Nation's all about, you know, helping people be their best, be your best, and um, mm -hmm. part of that message is um, knowing that you can develop a great physique or as as great a physique as you want, uh, while still, you know. So, you know, not being obsessive about it, you know, being able to control your mindset, control your diet, control your rest and recovery. And as I say, I, I felt I knew everything there was to know about managing my body. Mm -hmm. And I felt reducing the reducing the carbs wasn't going to have any material difference to the way in which I'd calculate my body's utilization of energy. Yeah. I, guess, I guess getting to the point of it, Sam, is like... I'm, I'm assuming the thermic effects of food because I'm not doing what you're, you said you were doing where you were equating out the, the impact of eating protein. And just for the listeners, the idea is um, protein-rich food effectively burns more calories through its digest, digestion and assimilation versus, say, carbs. And therefore, what Sam was doing was acknowledging that in calculating his calorie surplus i'm not doing that in all fairness sam i'm i'm mm -hmm. i'm inching up from what I, where i was before definitely in mm -hmm. more than what i was before on a moderate carb diet but my diet my yeah my weight's not changing materially i'd expect i'd expect to get fat because i'm eating a lot of food <laughs> it just ain't yeah. yeah things aren't changing and the point of making the anecdote sam was really just to kind of try and underline what you think was happening with your body when you reduced your waist uh, you added mm -hmm. like a, what, one and a half kilos on over three weeks of eating an obscene amount of food. Like, why yeah. do you think you wasn't accumulating the weight? And where was the 
the calories and the nutrition going? Yeah, so um, this is the million or maybe even billion dollar question, isn't it? Right. Um, yeah, isn't it? Um, so it's quite possible um, that because, so I somewhat believe in the hormonal um, model of obesity, um, or I do. Um, and so uh, it is likely that because my insulin levels were low, then I didn't accumulate as much fat, mm. um, essentially. Um, that's the simplistic hormonal model. There's a lot more involved in that if you kind of deep dive into, into hormones and things. It's a very, very complicated um, uh, network of, of hormones uh, within the human body. Um, but that's kind of the blanket um, general. Do you, do you want to uh, double, double click into what that hypothesis is just so that yes. uh, the people listening can understand sure. what you think the mechanism is for basically dumping yeah. that weight or not not accumulating it yes so um insulin um is uh, essentially a, a master hormone within the human body and what it does is that it it unlocks cells and allows the, and opens up cells to to give them energy essentially um and so uh when it comes to the three different macronutrients um carbohydrates uh protein and fat carbohydrates is the one that stimulates insulin the most and so the the model is is that the more carbohydrates that you eat um the more insulin that you secrete and so the more fat that you accumulate um that's once, the basic once, once the energy is used within the liver and the muscles then Yes, it goes to that yeah, yeah. tissue, right? Yeah, yeah, um, and because most people are eating a higher carb, lower fat diet, their glycogen stores are full up the whole mm. time, and so essentially it's spilling over. And the more insulin resistant that you get, um, the the more that your body is able to turn um, carbohydrates into fats through the process of de novo lipogenesis. Um, because in, in, in a normal person, it's not very much at all. It's like about 5%. Um, but somebody that's insulin resistant, it can go up to 40%. Wow. Essentially. Um, and so, uh, there's a big difference and kind of the more and more is insulin resistant that you get, the worse and worse that it gets. Um, and, um, so that's kind of what's happening in terms of the hormones um and then the reason that i didn't put on weight much was uh, on that first experiment was likely because i had low um low insulin levels but also because my body was just uh using that um and it's also likely um and these are these are just theories mm. at the moment it's really just hypothesis even um is that uh yeah i also uh pooed a lot of it out as well <laughs> just to just to yeah. be completely um uh honest so uh, you you that, think that with that it's through fecal matter so your feet uh, let me just see if i can understand what you your theory is uh your theory is with you know big boluses of protein and fat with minimal carbs uh mm -hmm. the insulin kind of post feeding spike uh is just no way near as pronounced as it would be if you just had food with carbs in and yeah. therefore as insulin is the storage hormone, the hormone that helps um, enable storage of energy within your muscles, in your liver, and then ultimately in your fat if it's a surplus, 
that's not triggering as much. So you've yes. got this coursing energy, you know, through your digestion and then into your bloodstream. Some of it's going to where it's needed, but insulin isn't. I don't know. Like part part of me would think like insulin's role is to clear the 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 blood of glucose because it, it is toxic. Yes. It is yeah. toxic in in volume. Mm -hmm. And protein can convert to glucose, but I know yes. gradually and slowly. So are we saying that because glucose isn't kind of um, immediately kind of pumped into the bloodstream, insulin isn't responding as quickly and as violently. And then that energy effectively, it uses what it needs for all the various processes in the body. Mm -hmm. And then it eliminates the rest. Uh, yeah, um, huh. that's, that's, in, that's in essence, likely what it what is happening. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that we don't fully understand how human biochemistry works. Um, we've got a lot of things down. Um, we've kind of been able to to work out uh, seemingly what's a lot of it, but I don't think that we fully completely understand what's going on. Um, all we can do is that we can we can observe what happens essentially mm. um, and then yeah of course we can then um then come up with theories and test those theories um and try to uh figure out exactly what's going on um but uh, the one thing that i'm fairly certain of is that not all calories are created equal which which challenges so much conventional wisdom I mean, like, you just need to hashtag calorie fucking deficit, right? <laughs> and, yeah. you, know, the, <laughs> you know, there's there's many proponents of the, you know, the calorie model. And if I'm honest, sure. Sam, like, I, I've been one of those. Like, I, sure. I wouldn't say it's only calories that matter. I, I think I've got a more holistic view of what nutrition should be. But nonetheless, when it comes to managing weight, I would always return to calories to guide someone down the path of weight loss. It just mm -hmm. feels instinctive and right. And for the most part, it works. But I guess mm -hmm. on this diet, I mean, like, here's, here's, here's a thought experiment. If you, instead of having 6,000 calories, you had eight or nine, like you really went to town. Right. If you, if you yeah, can yeah, fit yeah. it in. Even bigger. Do you think your body would still eject the food it doesn't want? Like, or, or do you think that at that point you would you start to be seeing some material weight gain? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think maybe um there are some thresholds perhaps but but i think the my my point is is that it's um the accumulative biochemical effect right so on the on a low carb real food diet the the biochem the negative biochemical reactions are much less on an equally um on an equal net calorie surplus of a low fat fake food diet. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the negative biochemical reactions on the low fat fake food diet were far worse than those on the low carb real food diet, even though they're in the same net calorie surplus, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I think is, is going on. It's crazy, crazy. Um, I suspect then, if you just eat enough kind of low low carb food eventually you'll have enough carbs mm -hmm. to you know trigger the you know the open the doors <laughs> open the doors to fat uh, you yeah know, to yeah fat and, and and also uh fat as well likely um okay. you know if it, if you were eating 9000 calories of fat um i 
I don't think that's probably good for you. Um, I agree. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I do like the point is, is that you can't get there. And as you found out, you know, you, you get to a point where you're just not that hungry, um, really. Um, and if you're in a bulking phase, of course, you're going to kind of force feed yourself a little yeah. bit. But, um, you know, if you're if you're an average Joe, then um, you just don't feel the need to, to eat as much because your body is uh, has got all the nutrients that it needs from the food that you've eaten. Yeah. But then it's also got access to uh, to your fat stores as well for energy. Um, and that's the other issue, obviously, with um, low fat, high carb fake food diets is that you know your body doesn't have access to its fat stores it's not dipping into those um really and so uh yeah that's why people are accumulating fats likely there's there's a guy online i, I won't mention his name who um isn't necessarily a proponent of of this lifestyle but he, he does follow mm -hmm. it and he talks about eating a, like a nose to tail diet for the most part and right. he says that he does eat fruit. Um, he used to be a fruitarian <laughs> before converting. Right. A bit, bit of a change. <laughs> wow, quite a change. I know. Tell me about it. Um, but he, he says that I do eat fruit, but I only eat it in the summer and I only eat it to put some weight back on. Um, and I thought that was a fascinating statement. I don't know if he meant it to be a profound uh, like mm. statement but he basically said I, I i mostly eat fat and protein you know it's just it's the way I, I like to eat i enjoy it my mental clarity is amazing blah 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 but i do eat fruit but i put i eat fruit during the summer just to put some weight back on if i want to bulk i'll only use fruit as a means to put weight on because i wouldn't be able to do it without it i'm like whoa i mean is he onto yeah. something there or is it just you know complete hearsay or just n equals no. one um i wouldn't necessarily it's just n equals one i mean you know that's what bears do essentially you know um they they eat more fruit and things um in the in the late summer months i believe um in the run-up to winter um on top of obviously all the salmon that they eat um and things like that um but uh yeah i mean i can't see why why not um it kind of it it fits the evolutionary it, it, model it, it, for it us fits. as well right it fits i think so yeah um it it makes sense to me but um for, for anybody that's skeptical you know just try it yourself see what happens so obviously i you know i think i think the bias is coming through not bias because of dogma or or being a zealot a bias because you, you found mm -hmm. a model that works but i i, I sense a strong bias towards a, a low carb high fat diet or healthy fat diet mm -hmm. um and of course there are loads of people sam like you know whether it be tim noakes or ted Naiman, uh gary fecky obviously some of the carnivore community the keto guys lots of people nina tychols gary Torbs, mm -hmm. lots of people coming out of the woodwork with credentials good science good journalistic skills and are really starting to challenge this notion of not only weight management through low carb but disease management or disease prevention through low carb so mm -hmm. i'm fascinated by this movement i thought it was a bit of a weird fad um yeah. i thought it was like you know p obsessive people uh, people wanting to like measure their ketone <laughs> constantly right. like, i don't want to be doing that that sounds ridiculous but from your perspective do you see how do you see low carb do you see it as an in intervention do you see it as mm -hmm. a, a lifestyle diet? Just give me a more a bit, uh, give me a little bit more around 
from a health perspective, mm-hmm. why you think a low carb diet is your preferred way of eating and the thing you recommend to others, Sam? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I, I see it as a lifestyle. Um, you know, at the beginning for some people, it can be, you know, quote unquote, an intervention, um, really, uh, because for some people it might be their last chance at um, regaining and obtaining health again. Um, but uh, yeah, it really is a lifestyle. Um, and the the number of people that I've seen that have completely turned their health around um, through this, through a low carb lifestyle um, is, is astronomical. Um, and it's mind blowing as well. You know, um, the, the number of people that have um, come to uh, join the public health collaboration that have reversed a multitude of uh, diseases and conditions, and particularly type 2 diabetes and obesity, um, so many people have been able to reverse that um, by following a low-carb real food lifestyle. Um, And they've been able to maintain it. That's the other thing. You know, they actually enjoy the food and they don't see themselves changing. You know, they, they think that now this is just the way that I eat now this is normal to me um and that's incredibly empowering for a lot of people that have you know yo-yo dieted um for for many many years and then they find this lifestyle that works for them um and uh yeah it's not to say that other lifestyles don't work because obviously they do um and if your health improves because of um a, a lifestyle any lifestyle change then that's the one that works for you. Um, But when it comes to uh, trying to improve public health, um, it's, it's, I guess, about trying to get the most bang for your buck, um, in all honesty. And uh, when it comes to the randomized controlled trials, um, it, for me, what it, what they show the randomized controlled trials between low fat and low carb just shows that it's just more likely that you're going to lose weight um, and uh, have a more normal and stable blood glucose level uh, when it comes to um, to following a particular lifestyle. And so when it comes to public health recommendations, um, if um, one method um, is more likely to uh, result in a positive outcome, that's probably the one that you should be advising. Um, And, you know, always with the caveat that, you know, if you try it and it doesn't work for you, please try other lifestyle interventions. You know, there are other lifestyles that are out there that you can try, but, you know, the the one that's most likely to to result in a positive outcome is is a low-carb real food lifestyle. I, I do concur, and I, I think my bias is starting to develop a little bit just because of my own experience and everything I'm, mm. I'm reading and hearing, um, and especially that kind of the insulin kind of model and this idea that insulin drives up a lot of disease or you know that yeah. excessive amounts of in, insulin coursing through your body, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance. Uh, I know that people are pegging that as potentially the you know the start or the cascading effect of much of the kind of issues that we're dealing with today. So mm-hmm. it, it makes sense intuitively, but at the same breath and being plain devil's advocate, I could say if someone goes to uh, a vegetarian or a vegan diet, which mm-hmm. by its very nature is going to be much higher carb, 
and mm-hmm. probably low fat and relatively low protein unless they're being pretty tight on their management of it. Mm-hmm. People will report once they get over the, the transition phase and the difficulty yes. of excluding yeah. foods they would have otherwise liked. A lot of people report fantastic health. Now, I think that's mm-hmm. caveated with the fact that you see equally amounts of emaciated, malnourished, or um, uh, quote unquote, you know, like not seeing their own health, like slightly delusional. Like you can see people who seem to be long term vegans, not all, but some quite a few. And you go, you know what, you don't look very well, you look like as if you need a little bit more muscle on your body, you, you look like as if you're kind of atrophying. But mm-hmm. that's, that's my anecdote, it's what I observe, but that's probably unfair to generalize. But lots of people moving moving towards a vegetarian or vegan diet would say, you feel great i feel great mm-hmm. I feel alkalized i feel like i mean loads of fresh fruit this is exactly what my mother told me i should eat right you know this matches you know the conventional wisdom you know i'm just getting more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff mm-hmm. well yeah i mean it, you, you said it right there they're, they're eating more good stuff than um the amount of bad stuff that they were eating before so it's an improvement on their diet um that they've made um, and the the macro point is that they've they've reduced their insulin levels and likely well they've reduced their glucose levels which in turn uh, reduces their, their their insulin levels. Would they if, if, um, if you see some vegan diets? I mean they're, they're slamming yeah. down fruit you know three four times a day yeah. with really yeah, yeah, sweet yeah. breakfasts. So, I mean uh-huh. I'm not sure. Oh, well yeah but but just fruits right um, and so that um, potentially and we'd have to test this out. Um, is that uh, it'd be less insulinogenic than the refined sugar cereals that they were eating before, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, again, you'd have to test this out. Um, but, uh, yeah, and fructose as well uh, doesn't uh, stimulate insulin as well. That's the other caveat that kind of is is put in there. And that's why... Um, a lot of uh, things like uh, diabetic jams are using um, fructose as the sugar right. that's in there because they're less they because they don't spike blood glucose basically. But obviously, you're still getting that carbohydrate load in there, and also the fructose load that's not going to be good for your liver. Um, but you're not getting that insulin spike mm. from it either. Um, so that's kind of the the slight caveat with with that point i guess um but uh you'd you'd have to do tests on people really to find out if their uh, more than likely low fat fake food diet um is less is um no their uh new uh low fat vegetarian lifestyle is less insulinogenic than their previous more than likely low fat fake food diet um so yeah it's difficult to tell um it is but i mean there'll be you know a diet like that will ultimately be fueled by carbs right i mean we talk about i know like you know have like mark sisson and the likes who talk about the body as a like a battery um and you know our our energy that we store is our fat we're great fat accumulators and great fat utilizers uh, mm-hmm. And that's really the way the body should work um, evolutionarily. That's the way it has worked. Uh, but when you are carb dominant, which I would say the majority of Western society are, whether you're on a vegetarian, vegan, or just normal diet, um, the carbs are 60, 70% plus, 
at that kind of diet lifestyle, you're not really allowing your fat adapted state, that ability to uh, uh, burn through fat really mm -hmm. feature, right? So if, if that's the case, then why do people on vegan diets lose a lot of weight? <laughs> so the there are so many caveats with this um you'd have to you'd have to study um a, a large vegetarian and vegan population right um to to find out exactly what's going on but those that are slim and seemingly healthy on the vegetarian and vegan lifestyles um some of them uh might like the quantity of total carbohydrates might not be as much as you'd think right. quite possibly because they're not eating that much food um it might be you know 200 grams of of carbohydrates but you know on a on a standard diet people are eating 250 300 grams of carbohydrates uh, plus all of the other rubbish that's in there yeah okay. um, as well so um yeah you'd have to do a massive population study well ideally like a really detailed uh, study of vegetarians and, and vegans on that um but in terms of kind of the the published studies that i know that are out there you know the the pure study for instance shows that you know mortality rates go up kind of um more when it's you know 60 70 percent of carbohydrates so um you know in the long term, it's quite possible, you know, epidemiology has many, many, many flaws, um, but it's quite possible that it might not be good for you in the long term, um, even though uh, people are, you know, losing weight in the short term. But then also at the same time, we don't know um, how many people are, are overweight um, on vegetarian and vegan lifestyles as well. Um, we, we hear the stories of... Um, uh, of those that are slim and seemingly healthy and things, um, but again, that's just anecdote. And these these arguments go for low carb as well. Of course, they do. <laughs> you know? I, I was I was actually <laughs> going to ask that, Sam. I mean, do you, yeah. you you obviously advocate for for low carb? So I think, at, you know, in your heart and in your mind, mm -hmm. you 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 want to do no harm, especially if you're you know trying to suggest services to our public health you know services. So therefore. I suspect you plus a growing number of other professionals look at a low carb, high fat diet as a healthy lifestyle that can, you know, carry on for years to come. But do we have enough data to say that a diet high in saturated fat, mm -hmm. uh, deliberately high in saturated fat um, has no long term negative outcomes? Or do you think that's still playing out in terms of the science? It's likely that it's still playing out somewhat. Um, I believe there are there are studies on the um, on this Israeli study uh, that go to about eight years, I think, um, on on low carb, um, and they're, they're essentially in, still in good shape. Um, but uh, the 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 one thing, particularly here in the UK, that's going to be very interesting to watch in the coming years um, is the low carb program from diabetes.co.uk okay. so um, diabetes.co.uk it's a private organization that's um, a community of uh, patients living with uh, with type 1 and type 2 diabetes um, but they also have uh, the low carb program uh, which is now part of the NHS digital library 
So um, NHS patients are now able to be prescribed the low-carb programme by diabetes.co.uk. Um, and we're going to be able to look at that data in the long term in terms of health outcomes, essentially. Um, and uh, before it got... Um, got put into the NHS digital library it's now it's I think it's about four years old so they've got data running to about four years um, I think that they've had published data um, up to two years of intervention um, and Verta um, very mm -hmm. similar as well uh, they just published those those results um, on top of uh, so um, yeah I think kind of the long-term data will um show that it is perfectly healthy to do um but then you know when it comes to uh not changing things now um i mean i'd ask for the long-term data on low-fat diets you know um and we don't have that either really but what we do have is the fact that you know governments across the world have advised low-fat diets yet we've ended up in, in an obesity and public health crisis of so many diseases um that it's for me it's rather evident that we've already got the, we've already got the data right i mean essentially yeah nina title says something similar she says whilst um the, the reason she obsesses about nutritional guidelines as much as she does is whilst people think they're they're ignored she said they're not you know the mm -hmm. producers the manufacturers the distributors the supermarkets the marketing and therefore people's attitudes to food what they uh, uh, try and avoid and what they eat more of does seem to fall in lockstep with the nutritional guidelines not perfectly but at a broad strokes level you know mm -hmm. our consumption of fat has dropped because of yep. the recommendations our consumption of things we should eat has increased and you know we're eating more fruits and vegetables they do work they just take time and they're not going to be perfect per individual but at a kind of mass scale we seem to be shifting towards those guidelines um yeah. so i i suspect you could then you could reach the conclusion that you know we're kind of following the diet as recommended by our governments today by and large oh, we not are. perfectly we are. but we are right yeah, yeah yeah i mean we've got data for that in the uk from Public Health England, right? So um, the, the National uh, Diet and Nutrition Survey, um, which has been running for almost 10 years now, um, shows that we've been basically eating um, uh, dietary guidelines. So we're, we're eating 48.5% carbohydrates compared to the recommended 50%. We're eating 34.2% fat compared to the no more than 35% fat recommendation um we're eating four out of five uh, fruits and vegetables mm. um uh and uh we're actually eating uh 66 grams of red meat per day compared to the recommendation of 70 grams of, of red meat um and then when you look at calories um we're actually eating about 400 calories less than the recommended um amounts really? per day yes wow. but obviously there's a caveat with that is that you know the, these are self-reported yeah. uh surveys and things and so you've got to add 25 percent <laughs> but when you add 25 percent that's 400 calories yeah so we're eating at calorie maintenance <laughs> on this yeah obviously we're having these uh, we've got an obesity crisis and all sorts of other things going on um so we've got data to show that we are eating the dietary guidelines yet 
we're in a public health crisis. So most, um, most people wouldn't. Most people wouldn't have assumed that. I wouldn't have assumed that. I would assume we're close. I didn't. I wouldn't have thought we're yeah. kind of matching it or even improving upon those recommendations. That's insane. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's mind blowing that you know that they don't kind of see that and want to make big strides and change. Uh, but you know, well, I guess that's that's government for you, and and that's our role. Um, the public health collaboration is to try and. Um, present the evidence um, and the real world evidence to um, to Public Health England and all the other um, public health bodies in the UK uh, that, I'm sorry guys, but you got it wrong. <laughs> um, and uh, this is more than likely the better way of doing things. So um, what we're doing is that we've got um, an ambassadors program, which is a volunteer program, uh, where people go through an interview process and then a training day um, in order to train up to become a public health collaboration ambassador. And they're local liaisons with healthcare professionals um, working within the NHS. And they um, deliver uh, information about the PHC to local healthcare professionals, uh, but also they, they offer to help them set up free public monthly meetings for patient, for their patients to attend. Cool. Um, and we've done this in several locations across the country. Um, and we're showing uh, mass improvement in those areas um, through that. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the proof is, is, is in not eating the pudding. <laughs> well said, well said. Well, here's, here's an anecdote from today, which I thought was just so timely, Sam. So my, um, my daughter needed to go to the doctors today. Uh, we just wanted to get her checked up for something. So the missus put her, um, got her into the waiting room and they were just waiting to be called. And mm -hmm. they've got a uh, screen up in the waiting room that is just flashing through various kind of presentation content. It wasn't, right. it wasn't TV. It was like recommendation stuff on, on diet. And um, my, my wife at some point needed to give my, her phone to my daughter so she could be distracted and, and use her phone instead of reading this screen because what what did it say it said guys you've got to be moving up to 10 portions of fruit a day uh if you've got diabetes absolutely stay away from all the fats uh it was saying the way you can get your fruits is by putting you know some fruit on your your toast in the morning yeah. some bananas and uh, bananas on your toast maybe put some extra fruit in your pasta and and she just reeled off like five or six statements that she got to see in the waiting room and this was in response to uh, managing your weight managing your health outcomes and managing diabetes mm -hmm. and i was she was shocked she didn't want yeah. her, our daughter to see it i was yep. shocked and i'm like it's 2019 like it, What's going is, on? Isn't isn't it isn't it kind of like isn't it table stakes now that people understand that a low carb diet is a very effective tool for managing diabetes, and yet our healthcare GP uh, practice has twenty four thousand um, uh, customers, and they're all getting to see this message. I'm like, that oh, is yeah. wrong. I mean, so what it's you're terrible. doing is fantastically, it's fantastic and very needed but it clearly has not yet had the effect oh no 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 not not kind of uh countrywide 
Um, we've still got a long way to go in terms of that. Um, and, and, and guidelines have still got a long way to go in, in, in terms of changing, but there is movement. Um, you know, most recently, Diabetes UK, uh, the mainstream charity uh, for, for diabetes, and also uh, the British Dietetics Association, which is the... Um, the union for um, British dietitians. Mm-hmm. Um, they've come out with uh, statements about low carb saying that it's safe and effective for people living with type 2 diabetes. So there's movement there from the mainstream. Um, are they, are then, they recommending low carb though? Or are they just saying we won't really. we won't tell you not to do it if you want to do it? Yeah, they 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 try to skirt the issue a little bit, but they're not really recommending it. They're they're, right. they're saying that there's evidence there to say that it's safe and effective, which is a step in the right direction, which is great. Um, but I think they're a, a, a ways off in terms of actually recommending it. Um, but uh, on that. Um, NICE, who's the organisation that uh, governs uh, healthcare professional guidelines in the UK, um, they've now endorsed um, the sugar infographics by Dr. David Unwin, um, <clears throat> who's on our scientific advisory mm-hmm. board, um, and in the tools and resources for um, for type two diabetes um, on the NICE website is a link to the public health collaboration website for those infographics, for those sugar infographics. So um, we now have a link to NICE, um, which is a massive step forward. Um, and uh, it's it's great to have that resource there because it gives us real credibility in terms of that. Um, and then also, um, again, Dr. David Unwin um, published and produced a... Um, an e-learning module um, via the Royal College of General Practitioners, which is the organisation that um, is the uh, association for for general practitioners in the UK. Um, he's uh, produced and published this e-learning module on type 2 diabetes um, and diet. So, uh, and obviously that kind of leans into uh, a lower carb lifestyle for type 2 diabetes and how to implement that. And all healthcare professionals in the UK have access to that. Um, and so that's, again, one of the roles that the ambassadors do is to let them know about this. Um, because although it's there and it's got the credibility of the Royal College of General Practitioners, um, not all healthcare professionals would have done it. Um, it takes 30 minutes for them to do um, and it gets them... Um, continual professional development points as well um so uh yeah there's there, there are big movements in the mainstream in in terms of supporting uh what we're saying and in this type of lifestyle um and moving forward i i think it's just going to get it's going to get bigger and bigger um as more and more results come in and more and more practitioners see it happen in the real world mm. Um, because, you know, for, for many, many years, um, uh, doctors and nurses have just been saying that type 2 diabetes is a progressive disease. And all you've got to do is that you eat normally and you just take your medication. Right. Um, and yeah, of course, 
that's when it's a progressive disease is if you eat normally, which is essentially a, a low fat fake food diet, um, and then just take your medication, which uh, for some of those medications can make things worse. Um, then it is going to be a progressive disease. But if you kind of, you know, turn the water off at the mains, then it's going to stop the leak, um, which is carbohydrates because type 2 diabetes is a disorder of carbohydrate metabolism. And so if you stop eating so many carbohydrates, then you won't have a problem anymore. So, <laughs> um, so, here's, so. The, here's the challenge, right? I mean, you're, you're not... Um you're not educated through the traditional you know roots of being a doctor mm -hmm. or uh, you know full-blown nutritionist like working within healthcare service right i guess yep. uh neither yep, am i correct. um yet through free information and through your own personal development and your connections you've established uh, a working hypothesis that seems to be so supported by lots of people and lots of data and lots of anecdote um yet that I just don't understand the disconnect because I'll, I'll give you another anecdote. I've got I've got someone in my family who is crippled with diabetes. He's older. Mm -hmm. He's like you know it's like having to cut things off type situation now with his diabetes. Um, his brother's likely going to have to give him his kidney, um, right. and he's on metformin every day, quite high dose. Yeah. So it was, I was being told about it only a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago. And I asked like, what are the recommendations? What are they saying to him? And I was shocked. Oh yeah. It, I was shocked. It was, it was a yeah. high carb pastas, breads, whole grains, mm -hmm. loads, loads of carby foods, minimize your fat intake. And he just went on and on and on. And I said, you know what? Do the opposite. And now the challenge yeah. you've got is how to manage your insulin dose when your body yeah. hasn't got as much glucose because you could you could go mm -hmm. in the reverse you can go hypo right so I was oh, like, yeah. you want you want some supervision through this but basically he's on his last legs it's getting no better he's having weekly consults and you know they're talking about dialysis they're talking about you know giving him a, kid, a kidney transplant all sorts of things like his eyes are going terrible like he's in a bad way he's ill he's really 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 ill yeah. And I hear his die, and I'm like, "Come on!" Like, wouldn't someone mm -hmm. have gone? Do you know what? Why don't we just try this thing? It's a bit fringe, but there's some data to support it. Like, how is it not in the system of knowledge? And that was yeah. my question: is like, is this a very draconian kind of top-down? If it isn't in the rule book, you can't say it type approach within NHS, mm -hmm. or or are people allowed to make their own decisions as practitioners? Uh, yeah, it really depends on your position. Um, GPs, for instance, have a, bit, a lot more liberty in terms of what, you know, they can do and not do um, compared to, to nurses, for instance. <clears throat> um, so that's why a lot of GPs kind of get on board fairly quickly um, because nurses um, find it a lot more difficult to go outside of the guidelines. Okay. Um, but it's not to say that it's not possible because I know plenty of, of practice nurses um, in particular that have kind of taken this on and, you know, helped loads of their patients uh, improve their lifestyle with this. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Would they get a slapped wrist though? Like if, like for example, you know the Tim Noakes piece and the, the Gary Fetke oh, yeah. kind of 
yeah. controversy and then being put to trial and try to be silenced yeah. and their you know their rights mm -hmm. revoked in terms of delivering yeah. these kind of recommendations i mean we've mm -hmm. seen high profile global cases of people going against the you know the guidelines and getting a slapped wrist yeah. and and more is is that is that the consequence we face in the UK of of going a bit extreme and you know offering something like a low carb intervention? I don't think so. No. Um, no. 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 Not at all. Um, particularly considering now that um, diabetes.co.uk's uh, low carb program is now part of the NHS digital library. So you know, going back to um, the gentleman that you were talking about earlier, that's what I'd recommend is going to the low carb program website um, and inquiring to gain access to that program okay. or having somebody contact the uh, healthcare professionals about that if they're skeptical um, so that, you know, they can actually follow this lifestyle because, you know, that person can, can show them on the NHS digital library that this is something that I want to do and it's within the NHS remit, basically. So that kind of you oh, know, right. would put the healthcare professionals' um, mind at ease. So if, if if this gentleman went, because uh, I think he's been seen by a nurse versus, I think he's going to a right. hospital versus going to a GP. I could be wrong, but okay. assuming he's doing that yeah. through you know regular checkups to make sure it's not progressive or getting worse, but it is. Yeah. Um, if he was to go and say, here's the diabetes.co.uk website, I can see the low carb program. Um, mm -hmm. I've re been recommended and I'm in support of following this protocol. You know, do, yeah. you, do I have your blessing and can you help manage my uh, insulin intake as a result of this transition? I mean, yeah. one, is he in his right to do so? And two, will he be scorned and um, prevented from doing that? Is he going to be demotivated? Mm -hmm um in following something which is off the beaten track yeah so um he's absolutely got the right to do that um particularly considering that it's got got um nhs endorsement now as well um and they can they that it is literally on the nhs digital library website as well that app so um they can show them that and obviously that'll, that'll go a long way in terms of giving it credibility for the nurse to actually take this seriously um, and then it's it's a real kind of 50-50 chance as to whether or not the nurse would go and say, no, absolutely not, or, oh, yes, let's explore this option, uh, really. Um, but uh, I would certainly encourage him to take that option to the nurse and say, this is what I want to do. Um, can you help me implement this in terms of adjusting my, my medication? Um, whilst I take this on. And all of that information is within the low-carb program itself. All oh, right, the medication um, on top of. as well. Yeah, because the well, the low-carb program, they have a um, healthcare professional platform uh, that's free for healthcare professionals. So if healthcare professionals apply to that, to their to, to that platform then they can gain access to all that information in terms of how to de-prescribe because this is the funny thing is that you know healthcare professionals know how to prescribe medications but they don't know how to de-prescribe mm. so people like dr david unwin um and uh, dr joanne mccormick and people like that they've had to learn on their own <laughs> in terms of how to de-prescribe so in the future we hope that um, in medical schools, 
you know, doctors and nurses won't only be taught how to prescribe medications, but they'll be taught how to de-prescribe medication as well. I, th I think that's such a interesting point. Yeah, you don't you don't really think about it, man. So listen, nah. last question I have on this piece, and I think what you're doing, by the way, is fantastic. I mean, being a charity and the work you commit to it, I, I can only imagine it's like banging your head against a brick wall and not earning you lots of money either. Um, but <laughs> such a such a worthy pursuit for the health of our nation. But here's here's the question. I mean, how you, how much are you having to dilute what you really want to say in order to try and get? sponsorship or endorsement of your message into the places that need to hear it uh not much at all i don't think i don't think i'm uh i don't think i'm compromising in what i think um in terms of everything i think that probably the main point is probably saturated fats i mm. think is the one thing that's going to be a real linchpin in all of this and this is what it's going to boil down to is that um because governments across the world are so heavily invested in this idea that saturated fat causes heart disease that it's going to take a very very long time for them to reverse that um and so you know our focus is a low carb uh lifestyle low carb real food lifestyle for for uh, conditions and diseases such as type 2 diabetes and uh, and obesity um, and you know the point will always come up about saturated fat and then we then we get into that discussion but we don't bring it up as a topic like off of the bat you're um, not recommending in your literature high mm, saturated high saturated fat intake because you know it would be it would be poo-pooed it would be dismissed in the medical community right now is that what you say? Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of. Um, you know, we we include foods that have, you know, um, higher saturated fat content than um, some other foods. You know, um, we don't shy away from recommending those foods like butter and lard and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, we don't really kind of, I guess, bring it up in conversation, and we don't have it in our messaging um, that saturated fat isn't a problem if it if we get comes to that discussion we don't shy away from it because you know the evidence is there to show that there is no evidence that saturated fat causes heart disease um we don't we don't have an issue with that but we don't really kind of focus it focus on that in our in our messaging um so um there's a there's a, i suppose there's a slight um a slight angle that we're going for in terms of the messaging but when, but we're still not shying away from those points that will be, um, will be the the main obstacle in implementing all of this change. Mm. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I've looked at your stuff, and I think it's great. So, um, I, I see I see you guys um, really leaning in on educating. You know, it sounds bizarre mm -hmm. that an outside body needs to do this, but educating our healthcare our healthcare system and service providers on different modalities of, of eating, which could be productive and, and, and reduce our healthcare costs, right, which I think is necessary, critical. Um, but uh, that's yeah. only one part of the solution. So you're, you're working with or looking to influence the healthcare practitioners. But yep. we have two areas, two other areas, right, we've got the nutritional guidance that 
quickly is becoming global nutritional guidance and it's not necessarily within the control of only the uk in terms of what we tell uk people uh, you know british people to eat and then on top of that you've got the generational wisdom like if i go walk down the road and i ask people two or three questions as it relates to what's healthy food and what is unhealthy food uh, i can say nine times out of ten you know lots of fruit and vegetables are going to feature a hell of a lot um, yeah. whole grains are going to feature as a healthy food mm -hmm. and then as a negative food i think almost definitely people are going to say i'm going to probably need to reduce my red meat consumption from where it is today probably need to reduce my my love for eggs and you know then i'm probably going yeah. to reduce my cheese down more than what i currently have like people will say processed food too for sure but when you talk about whole foods there are demonized whole foods and they typically sit on animal animal nutrition side of the fence yeah. and i think you know that's not people that have a bias towards wanting to turn vegetarian i just think that's generational wisdom i would have said mm -hmm. that two years ago um that that's that i think is the bigger problem like you've got the nutritional guidance people oh, yeah. can and can't follow but you know, yeah. typically we do the healthcare mm -hmm. practitioners have got to give better advice when people walk in with ailments but we've yeah. got this you know we've got this self-educated population which are being educated through social media and in their own echo chambers of what you know is propagating in their minds of what healthy is and what unhealthy is and that seems to be a huge issue and i know there are people trying to attack the kind of public mind and public perception are you doing anything in in that mm. front or are you leaving that to others to kind of try and master and get into a few fights um we're, we're kind of doing it in a few ways so um, trying to get more and more healthcare professionals on board is going to help that really because if you have more and more nurses and doctors within the nhs that are telling you that look you can eat as many eggs as you want so basically um yeah eggs aren't a problem butter isn't a problem it's likely the bread that's causing your issues um <clears throat> then because that's coming from such a trusted source, yeah. then that will um, kind of seep through the zeitgeist of the nation. Um, and hopefully, yeah, change change the, the nation's thoughts on that so that, you know, in 10 years time, when we go down the street and we ask about what food's healthy and unhealthy, then we'd have very different answers. Um, and uh, also uh, we do, but we do at the same time, as well as getting more and more healthcare professionals on board, have a uh, have kind of a, a public outreach pro program, um, which is uh, Real Food Day. Oh, so, right. um, yeah, Real Food Day uh, takes place uh, next Wednesday, uh, which is the nineteenth of June. The week before um, Meatless Week, whatever it is called. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's, I think there's another meatless so week on, on board. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Um, so uh, <laughs> you might want to check yes. that one out. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. That'd be great, Toby, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, so uh, that is about highlighting the power of real food, um, and how uh, real food lifestyles can impact uh, upon lifestyle diseases, basically. Um, and uh, yeah, we're trying to reach out to the public that way essentially nice. um so is that got a hashtag is it uh yeah yeah just hashtag real food day okay um so yeah please check that out and uh, the website is realfoodday.org um so check that out we've kind of got activity packs for families 
for uh, workplaces and for schools as well uh, that, are, that are freely available to, to download on the website there. Um, and we've got a nice little animation video as well that people can check out. It's just a couple of minutes long uh, that kind of explains why Real Food Day is is important love it love it um, i've only recently just thought a podcast is dropping tomorrow uh which is talking about um are we getting misguided by the notion of veganism versus everything else in terms yeah. of the holy grail and the elixir of life or is it really about big food versus real food and i absolutely think it's the latter i think we're allowing ourselves to be misdirected through ideology mm-hmm. uh through a path of what we think is optimal for humans and it, i I just yeah. don't, I don't believe it to be true because with the vegan movement comes a lot more mm-hmm. extra processed food on our plate just through the yeah. very nature of it. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but Sainsbury's are popping up a, uh, a, a meat-free butchers, <laughs> meat-free butchers in one of their stores in Bethnal <laughs> Green on this meatless week. Really? I think it's June 22nd for a week. Uh, really just to underpin uh, and demonstrate all the meat products which don't contain meat that they're developing and selling. And I just think that's going so far against, I mean, it is plain to the needs of people to want to eat real food and it's plain to the needs of people wanting to eat vegetables, but yeah. it's being wrapped up in a processed, in, uh, you know, delivery system. And and I just wish people would see through that and go, you know what, it's not about switching out meat for processed food. It's about eating more real food. I think if we just go to that movement of yeah. eat locally, fresh and seasonally, we'll solve a lot of problems. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully we can, we can do that. Um, I think there'll be kind of still a lot of debate and things in terms of, uh, you know, things like environmental impact yeah. and, you know, the ethical implications of, uh, of eating animal foods. Um, but let's not but, conflate uh, the two, right? I mean, if yeah, we're talking exactly. about nutrition, let's talk about nutrition. Well. Yeah, exactly. Um, a hundred percent. Um, that's what I'd, I'd much prefer definitely yeah cool lovely thanks so much for your time sam it's been an absolute delight so intrigued by the experiments you've done and the knowledge you've learned and more importantly what you're doing at a public health collaboration um i know it's more for practitioners but do you just want to give a quick reference to any of your various handles and websites that people can go Mm -hmm. check out i know you spoke about real food day just a second ago yeah, um, I mean, anybody can get involved in the ambassadors program. They don't have to be a be a doctor or a um, or a nurse or any healthcare professional. Um, we've got plenty of uh, people that have had their own health journey um, become ambassadors. So, um, if you go to the Public Health Collaboration website, which is PHC uk.org um, then you'll be able to find it there along with um, all of our patient booklets as well as our own healthy eating guidelines and weight loss advice um, alongside many other things including uh, videos from our uh, annual conferences over the past few years as well um, which are available on youtube too so uh definitely um check those out they're, they're very very useful and that's under phc or public health collaboration? yes yeah, yeah yeah if you just search public health collaboration on youtube then um then all those videos will come up um and we've got three years worth of of annual conferences there and the this year's annual conference will go up later this year um so make sure that, that you subscribe for that Cool. And, um, and you personally, can some can anyone follow you in your your ramblings or ideas? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, place that I'm most active is Twitter. 
Um, so at Sam Felton, um, that's that's the best place to catch me there. Um, and then, you know, we've got a Facebook page for the PHC as well um, and, a, and Twitter as well, of course. Um, and the other thing that we have coming up um, is our Real Food Rocks Festival. Um, no so, on, yeah, on Saturday, the 20th of July, um, we have a, a real food festival up in the Lake District um, that is just about real food, real music and real fun. Nice. Um, so it's just going to be kind of, you know, just a family friendly day, um, just centered around real food and and just having fun with it all really uh you know there'll be movement workshops there'll be cooking demonstrations all sorts um and it's it's, it's fairly cheap um so adult tickets are, are 10 pounds and uh child tickets are five pounds and if you're under five you go free so wow. uh, yeah more more the merrier <laughs> well, it sounds great well i'm gonna do my best to try and reference all of the all the bits and pieces you just spoke about. I'm going to look at that personally for my family too. That, that sounds like fun. You see, oh yeah, the website is uh, realfoodrocks.co.uk. Awesome, so, awesome. It'll be great to see you there, Steve. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today. Um, loved every second of it. I wish you all the best and let's keep in touch. I mean, it's an arms race, right? We've all got to do our bit towards, <laughs> you know, turning this, uh, turning this ship as it relates to our, our health i think it's completely doable we just need everyone to feel a little bit more enlightened in terms of the facts as opposed to nutritional guidance which is just out of date and 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 destroying our health and not focused on the right thing so i'll help support that message wherever i can sam if there's anything i can do to directly support your efforts please let me know amazing thanks steve much appreciated cool all righty take care man you too bye If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.